Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Happy Advent, and here I am. It's Timory, and it's day before my due date, and I have not had this baby yet. I really thought, if you've been following my story I was going to have the baby early with all the preterm labor and tons of contractions uh, over the last few weeks, really intense contractions, and not just Braxton Hicks. And I'm still cooking. Baby's still here. I can't wait to meet her. We're excited. Tomorrow's my due date, the 20th, and my daughter turns two years old, so everyone's cracking up. Will the baby be born exactly on her birthday? Will the baby be born on Christmas? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, But we're waiting as the days and moments go on, and I'm anxious and excited. I'm having trouble sleeping at night, wide awake. It's a week now, and I have been up for four, five, and six hours in the middle of the night. So I'm praying for sleep. So you can pray for sleep for me, because right now I just really want and I'm hoping for some good, real sleep. Not even extra sleep, just normal sleep. Uh, So thank you for all of your prayers and everyone who's been checking in. We're excited to welcome our second baby girl. It's so funny. I had this weird feeling today. What if, you know, after all this waiting and kind of how tumultuous the last few months have been with the preterm labor, after all of that, you know, I don't end up having the baby early and then all of a sudden, boom, I have a boy. Wouldn't that be hilarious? So you'll remember this when suddenly that happens, but that's not what I think is going to happen. But that would be a surprise. It doesn't happen as often as it used to anymore. But it's our weekly happy hour. Thank you for joining me today on trending in these final days leading up to Christmas. And Today, I was really excited to have Kendra Tierney join me from Catholic All Year. She's the author of the book, The Catholic All Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life. And she's going to help us unpack ways to celebrate and incorporate Christmas into our homes. I know often Kendra joins us talking about feast days that we can celebrate. And it might seem like a lot to you from the cooking or the fun activities. But hey, Christmas is that time when we actually usually do have at least couple extra days off, if not maybe a week or two, to incorporate these fun, faith-rich, full traditions into our home. So joining me now is Kendra Tierney here on Relevant Radio. Kendra, welcome back to Trending. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about some of these incredible ideas in your book, everything from Christmas Eve to Christmas Day, and those first major feast days that we have in the church in those immediate days after the celebration of Christ's birth. Where do we start? What are some of your favorites that we could start to incorporate and prepare for today as we get all the other decorations and foods ready and presents wrapped in the coming days? Yeah, you know, something that I I think is interesting that I... I hear from people sometimes that they 
you know, they, they want to be doing more during the Christmas season. And, um, and it's, it's a good point that, that there's so many really beautiful, prayerful Catholic traditions associated with Advent. And then you get to Christmas and you're kind of, you know, maybe you're in habit or, or, but really it just sort of feels like a fall off maybe after, you know, for the Christmas season. But I think that that's kind of liturgically appropriate that, that there's so that Advent is this time of preparation. Like, you know, the, the, all the preparation that goes into getting ready for a new baby to come. And then once the baby is born, the point is to, you know, is to capitalize on all that work that you did before the baby came and, and relax a little bit and spend time with the family. Um, so we do, we really try to try to do that to try to make our Christmas season a little bit more relaxing, a little bit um, more family focused. Um, and, you know, after, after all of the work of preparation that we did for, for Advent, but there definitely are some beautiful some, be- some beautiful traditions that we that we do use to sort of mark the Christmas season. I love that fall off that you mentioned. The Advent is that season of preparation. We should be able to rest a little bit and slow down once Christmas here is because there's been this massive rush. So what are you doing so that that fall off, that enjoyment with the family, but still keeping focused on Christmas and not just letting it be about the presents, uh, but allowing it to even expand into those full eight days of the octave of Christmas that starts on Christmas Day? Yeah, and uh, I think it's I think it's 16 days of the Christmas season this year. It's a little it's a little frustrating that it's not actually always 12 days anymore. It was um, until like the 1969 calendar revisions, right. but now it sort of moves around. But I think we get 16 days of Christmas this year, all the way to the baptism of the Lord. Great. But There's so many things we can discuss to... with dating from the octave to the 12 <laughs> days to all the way to February 2nd. I know we keep our Christmas tree right. up, but let's talk about those fun, intentional things we can do to prepare in our homes and enjoy it. Yeah. So what we, there are a few things that we do to sort of mark, hey, it's, it's the Christmas season. And um, it, one is that we watch, we, we don't watch Christmas movies during Advent and we try not to eat Christmas treats during Advent. That's a little hard to manage sometimes, but, um, but we use Advent to prepare and to do our baking and to make Christmas treats. And we eat a few of them, but then I put the, most of them away so that we can pull them out during those 12 days of Christmas. Uh, and we watch a, a different Christmas movie as a family each of the 12 days of Christmas. So, which, you know, feels really special. Kids are home from school and we have our family favorites that we come back to every year. Um, and then the other, another thing that we do is, is just singing the silly 12 days of Christmas song, um, which, uh, that I do not believe that that story that goes around Facebook every year about it being a secret catechism song. That's not true. It's not, it's a secular song, but it marks the 12 days of Christmas and it's fun. And so we have little 12 days of Christmas ornaments that we hang up on a little, decorative Christmas tree that's on our table. Um, so we do that each day. And then the other thing is that we do the traveling wise men. So the wise men from our nativity set travel around the house at night, uh, just, you know, for the 12 days of Christmas from, from Christmas uh, day until epiphany when they then arrive 
uh, at the at the nativity set, and so they they travel at night, and uh, and then the kids get to find them in the morning. I love the traveling wise men. I know you guys love to do a nativity play within your home as well. I know you guys have all the family That's members right. to do it, but talk a little bit about having kind of that tradition of the nativity because you know you'll have it at various masses if you go to a children's mass, especially on Christmas Eve. Um, but even just ways to retell that nativity story. Maybe if you have a nativity set or you have a manger there, like talking about the actual story of Christmas and bringing that focus and those stories alive, you know, beyond, you know, what you're talking about with the movies and, you know, incorporating those things like the wise men in that journey. Yeah. So this has been something we've been doing for 12, 15 years now is just this simple little at home nativity play that we do on the evening of Christmas. And we, we just do like simple costumes from around the house. Mostly it's just big t-shirts. You wear the kids all, we put them all in like one big t-shirt to be a tunic and then wrap another one around their head. And so we have people who, you know, we've got wise men, we've got Mary and Joseph, we've got shepherds, angels, um, so you can, you can make it a, you, know, you can make it small or you can increase the number if you have a bunch of family over, but it's just a really simple script just taken from the Bible. Um, it, it's available on my website as a printable, uh, dot It's free printable. Um, or, uh, it's also up on catholicculture.org, uh, just as, uh, just, you know, online and, Nobody has to memorize anything. You don't need fancy sets. Um, I, I just sort of whisper the lines to the little kids. And it has just created so many cute and fun memories over the years. And roping in, you know, guests who had stopped by to say hi or people. You know, we, we like to invite uh, people who don't have uh, you know, family in town and need a place to have Christmas dinner. So we invite them and then we rope them into our nativity play and, wrap their head up in an old t-shirt so they get to uh, be a shepherd or a wise man. Um, and it's just, it, it, you know, traditions like that, that you come back to every year and the kids deciding who's going to be which character. Um, it's really, it's really fun and meaningful. Let's talk about some of the feast days in that those early days of Christmas. We have Christmas Day the 25th. We have all of our family traditions from the different types of foods to going to Mass, giving of the gifts, you know, even the tradition of St. Nicholas and the stockings. Uh, maybe you wait, hopefully, or maybe you don't. I like both ways. You know, you can do it both ways. Wait to put the baby in the manger in your home. I know last year I wanted to wait to put the baby in the manger, but my daughter was so excited. She went, baby Jesus, baby Jesus. So, of course, we spent Advent with Jesus in the manger or around the house and put in and out of the manger. Uh, all these things that we can incorporate to kind of bring the focus back to Christmas, making sure we're praying at meals, uh, keeping that significant focus while allowing the feast day to be the exciting feast day it is that's why we're celebrating why we're all coming together but then you have in those coming days the feast days you know we start with the very first martyr of saint stephen on the 26th let's unpack a little bit of some of the things you might do to mark those days from the holy innocence to saint stephen and even the feast day of saint john the beloved apostle yeah and these these feast days are really really important uh, in, important saints, and they're actually referred to as the like companions of Christ. These 
feasts that are in the uh, Christmas octave. Um, and there are some there are some really fun ways that we like to that we like to observe those um, for the Feast of St. John. There's a really beautiful tradition um, of drinking the love of St. John. So it's it's traditional on that day to um, get a bottle of wine blessed at, uh, at, at Mass. Uh, so you can just go up to the priest afterwards and ask him to bless uh, your bottle of wine if, uh, if that isn't something that, that they do as part of the service. And then you bring it home and everybody sits around the table and, uh, and gets, you can either share the same glass of wine or everybody can have their own little glass and you turn to the person next to you and, and you say, I drink to you the love of St. John and you hand them the glass and they take a sip and then they, you, and then you reply to the person, I drink to you the love of St. John. Um, And it's just a beautiful sort of way to, uh, you know, to to mark that day. And then if you have, it's actually traditional to save what's left in that bottle of wine and to put a few drops into any other bottle of wine that you open the the rest of the year. I don't usually, I'm not usually organized enough to manage that part, but we do the drinking the love of St. John and, um, and, uh, and we really like that tradition. And kind of incorporating and understanding that, you know, we know that St. John laid his, his, uh, head rested his head on the chest of Jesus at the last supper when we are having the institution of the Eucharist. And so seeing kind of that connection between the Eucharist and the sacrificial love of St. John uh, is so significant. Even just pondering, you know, St. John was the only apostle uh, that didn't die that martyr's death in the way that the other apostles had and that the old age that he entered into and his innocence as a young, um, young, young apostle, you know, recognizing Christ when the others didn't, having that faith when they weren't quite there always, whether it be at the cross or the first to recognize him and at the Sea of Galilee, you know, the, those things of kind of seeing like praying that we have that prayer, that hope, that faith of St. John is, I think, so significant as we do something such as, you know, the wine of St. John on his feast day. I love these. Can you explain that a lot of people in Europe will talk about Boxing Day, that day after Christmas on the 26th, the feast day of St. Saint jo- Stephen. What is Boxing Day? Yeah, Boxing Day itself isn't really a, a a religious holiday. The the idea was that you would use that that day after Christmas to I think to you know box up extra food or gifts, things that um, that uh, that maybe you didn't need anymore now that you had Christmas presents and share them with the poor or bring gifts to neighbors. So we use it as an opportunity to, um, to take um, like plates of cookies uh, as, as Christmas gifts around to our neighbors. We do that on Boxing Day. Um, and we have good friends who always have a big Boxing Day party because uh, I, I guess it's, it's a, a, a more traditional practice in England and also in Canada, and they're Canadians. So we, always, uh, we can always count on, a, on getting invited to a Boxing Day party, but, um, but it's a good chance to you know, the idea is, is to share and so to find some sort of tradition uh, that, that, uh, that you can come up with in your family that would, you know, you, to do volunteer work or to give gifts or, um, or, you know, some way to share your gifts with others. 
Okay, one more I really want to talk about in those early days of Christmas, and that is December 28th, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Such a gruesome, I think, moment in the church when we realize we're in this celebration of the Christmas season, and boom, we mark the first martyr, St. Stephen, on the 26th, right away taking us from the child Jesus, but also to what he will become, the sacrifice he will make, and the sacrifice he calls all of us to make. But then the Feast of the Holy Innocents, marking that day of all of the children who, um, because of the birth of Christ and the rejection of Christ being born, um, and Herod wanting those children killed because he wanted he didn't want a threat of the Christ child uh, being uh, kind of competition for him. He had all these young children killed. And so we were marking that day as these children being little martyrs in the church. And so what are some ways to kind of mark and ponder that day, especially such a gruesome and significant day? And uh, especially if you have children, kind of that's, that's a lot to swallow and think about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, the, Kind of, I, I feel like the the thing that's most interesting about it to me is that it has historically really been celebrated within the Catholic Church with a lot of levity, and and that's kind of I, I think that that's counterintuitive until you really dig into um, into what what we're what we're dealing with that these are children who were killed because of Christ and in Christ's place, they were mistaken for Christ. And so that, that is the, uh, that's our ultimate goal, right? To live in such a way that we could be mistaken for Christ. And so these babies accomplish that. Now, from another perspective, obviously, was it horrible? Was it, is it heartbreaking? It's unimaginable. But if we focus on, on the good of that these children were were among the first martyrs among the first to be welcome into into heaven and and so it's been celebrated um in europe traditionally as sort of a their april fool's day it's a day for pranks and and because uh looking at it from the perspective of that they tricked king herod because he wanted to do something terrible and instead he gave them this martyr's crown and he wanted to, he wanted to kill Jesus, but he was prevented from, from doing that. Um, and so it's the, it's a day to, uh, you know, to celebrate children to, and so in our house, we, um, we use it as an opportunity to explain what is a funny prank and what is not appropriate prank. Um, and to also, um, it, it was traditional to to do this sort of um, role reversal in homes and even in like monasteries that the youngest and in in uh, uh, in seminaries there would have been you know children in in seminaries who were preparing to prepare for the priesthood. And so whoever was the youngest person in the home or the youngest person in the monastery or the seminary would get to be in charge for the day. And uh, there was a tradition of making a boy bishop that was officially frowned upon by the church and, and uh, discontinued. But there, there would be a, a boy in like bishop's regalia at, at the mass for the day. 
So we don't do that one, but I do let uh, the the youngest child who is able to make decisions gets to, you know, kind of be in charge for the day pit, within reason, pick what we have for dinner, pick what, uh, you know, pick the activities for the day. Um, and, and that it's a good day to have, you know, I, I love all of, all of our feast day traditions are always to set up a conversation. And so, uh, this, this idea that God can take a terrible situation and, and use it for good. So even though this is a really sad situation and a really, uh, you know, a really sad historically. And if you listen to the, um, the, that it's a 15th century Christmas song called Coventry Carol that, um, and it's really sad. Uh, I don't recommend it for pregnant ladies. Um, it's really sad, but, um, but it's, but it's a good opportunity to talk to our kids about that. There is hope in even the, you know, most devastating of circumstances. Amen. That is so true. And I appreciate that you said, you know, understanding that celebration of the holiness. It's those children that were killed uh, because of Jesus's life and fear of the threat he would be uh, to King Herod, that these children receive the martyr's crown and that there's a levity, like you said, to this feast day, even though it's so gruesome, but it, it focuses in on the fact that death is not in vain, that in Christ we live, and the joy and delight of the innocence of children, the preservation of their innocence. I often think of it being such an important day for people who have lost, you know, young children or have lost a baby uh, to miscarriage. And it's a reminder that in the face of how, how sorrowful that loss can be of any loved one, but especially of children, the gift of knowing that that child has been preserved in grace to be with God in the face of all of the temptation and challenge that we have in the world, that they haven't died in vain. That's Kendra Tierney here on Relevant Radio. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Kendra, thank you so much for joining us today. We've tagged Kendra from Catholic All Year on Instagram and social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to catch Kendra. Highly recommend her book. I'm posting a link on social media, so check that out. The Catholic All Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life. And I know she has a special episode on Hallow featuring ideas for Christmas Eve as well. I'll be right back here on Trending during our weekly happy hours. We coast through these last days of Advent. We'll be with Father Tim Grumbach talking about charity and why your church is canceling mass, or not mass, but Protestant services. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory during our weekly happy hour. Joining me in just a few moments here will be Father Tim Grumbach. We're going to talk about that fourth candle, the theme of this week in Advent being charity. We'll also talk about why churches everywhere, not Catholic churches, thank God, but churches everywhere are canceling church services, Protestant church services on Christmas. I was reading an article fascinating from the New York Times, Oh, come all ye faithful, except for when Christmas falls on a Sunday. Why is this happening? What's significant about it? And why will the Catholic church not do this? We'll talk about that a little bit here on Trending. But I had a question come in that I did want to touch on during the weekly happy hour, Terrence wrote to me from Salt Lake City, and he was asking about why is it that most women today like bad boys, he said. It seems like when you treat a woman good or with respect, like he was taught, he was taught by his grandfather, they don't seem to like it. And that seems to be as if they like being treated horribly. 
I thought this was a really interesting question because I do see this trend and I don't know that it's directly that women want like the bad boy type of person that they want to date. I think it more so has to do with the two things, excitement and wanting something new and challenging. Um, it's almost like women want a project to work on sometimes and so they turn to someone who they can reform or someone who's going to excite them and distract them and always be a surprise. In, in other words, we live in a culture where many women today are on emotional roller coasters and they just don't know how to maintain, don't know how to have kind of a normal day-to-day -day life that doesn't have to involve really intense highs and low lows in their emotional state. And so sometimes I think that pursuit and that desire of the guy who doesn't treat them the greatest, who is like that bad boy type, is enticing to them. And this can go all the way, I think, back to kind of the culture we're living in with regard to women, that it's due to a lack of self-respect that women have for themselves. It comes back to these daddy issues that are so prevalent that many women don't know how they should be respected or treated or even how they want to be respected or treated. And it is an element, I would argue, as well of self-sabotage. A lot of women, because they didn't have good male dynamics in their relationships, tend to self-sabotage because they don't know how to have them or they don't think they're deserving of them. It's not a function that's been normal. But a lot of this, at the end of the day, all has to do with that emotional roller coaster. Really high highs, those really low lows. It's not just women who have struggled with self-respect or daddy issues who are seeking the bad boy today, but I think it's many women and it's because we don't know how to just have healthy relationships without getting ourselves into um, these places of just unhealthy dynamics, whether it's dating, who we're going to pursue. Because again, we want those intense emotions, whether they're highs or lows, and we kind of thrive on them. Even the bad moments, we allow ourselves to be stuck in that because it becomes such a routine. So those are some of my thoughts. Gentlemen, don't give up. Terrence, don't give up. If a woman is not interested or willing to accept your respectful behavior, your respect, and just good nature, there's someone else out there. Be patient. Pray for them because trust me, there are a lot of women out there who are looking for good guys such as yourself. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is Father Tim Grumbach. He is the chaplain at Bishop Alamini High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And Father Tim, welcome back to Trending. I'm so excited to have you on in this final week of Advent, these days leading up to Christmas. Hi, Timory. It's good to be back, and it's an exciting time of the year. Our students just started finals this morning, and they got two more days to go through. It's always fun. It, maybe it feels a little bit more like torture to them when I'm, I'm asking, you know, how'd your final just go? How's your next final gonna, gonna <laughs> look? And like, I've got, you know, they're telling me all this stuff about AP calculus and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm glad that you're not going to die after your final. So, um, so it's, it, it's a fun couple of days, but they're a little stressed out. They could all use some prayers. So I thank you all for that. Absolutely. Anyone who's still in that final season, I was thinking about this last night. Father Tim, I still have dreams about being in school and like missing assignments and I really really hated the online discussion boards like I went to school in person and why I had to do all these stupid online discussion boards I hated it um, especially because it took more work than 
so many other things. Anyways, I digress. I still have nightmares that I didn't accomplish any of the online discussion <laughs> boards and that I've been like past due months on my online discussion boards and it's final. So those final dreams, I still have them all these years after having finished grad school. Uh, the, the stress can be real. Father Tim, let's talk about the Advent wreath. We've been doing our series every single week on Mondays discussing the themes of Advent. Uh, you and I have talked a lot about how Advent is a time of penance and sacrifice, preparing the way for the Lord. And one of those common traditions is to have an Advent wreath in your house. My daughter, she's two tomorrow and she is obsessed with our Advent wreath. She goes, fire, fire. And we pray as we light each candle for those virtues that we are marking with each of the candles. She's really excited because the Advent wreath is complete. We now have all four candles lit. We started with hope, peace, joy, that Gaudate candle, the pink candle, and then finally we're on that candle of charity. Let's unpack a little bit of the significance of that charity candle in this preparation this week for the coming of Christ, who is love himself. Oh, if she likes fire that much, she and I are going to make good friends. Um, yeah, I, I love the tradition of the Advent wreath. It is something that I grew up with in my family. And I think my little brother and I would sometimes fight over who got to light the candle, who got to blow out the candle. Uh, yes. So, you know, we definitely had to, definitely had to grow in charity, right? <laughs> but, uh, but knowing that the last candle is that candle of charity, uh, tying all of the other candles together, that's what the the theological virtue of charity really does. You know, St. Paul says, you know, uh, that charity binds all love together, binds all things together. And that the very concept of charity uh, kind of, you know, has lost its teeth, I think you could say, in our culture these days. Because when you hear the word charity, many people probably think, you know, just of like, you know, rich people, celebrities giving their money away to whatever charity. And, you know, even in such a divisive political atmosphere that we live in, it could be giving money to charity to causes that are against the church, against the faith. And so the word charity can have somewhat of a negative connotation. Even people who are in desperate need but have a lot of pride could say, I don't want your charity. But the word charity is so deep and so rich. It is coming from the Latin word caritas, which is a translation of the Greek word agape, which is this self-giving, pouring out kind of love. It's not, oh, here's what I have extra, and I'm going to use it to uh, maybe grab some attention from someone else because I look like a good person during the Christmas season because I'm giving all this money away. It's quite the opposite, is that it is the kind of love that you give until it hurts, Mother Teresa would say. That it's the sort of love that you, you're not giving from your surplus, you're actually giving from your need. And not necessarily just when it comes to money or other material possessions, but it is not just something you do. It's a, it's a way that you live. It's, uh, you know, it's who you are, not just mm -hmm. something that you do. And so it's a beautiful way to tie together all of the other virtues that the Advent candles have been celebrating, but also a way of tying together our penances, like you said, the Advent season yeah, maybe not known as the most penitential season, especially when you have Lent also. But when you look at whatever you may have been giving up during Advent, whatever little sacrifices you have been making or prayers that you've been adding, has it helped you grow in love? And so that this last candle is the candle of charity, is tying together all of the actions, all of the prayers, all of the sacrifices that we've made leading up to this beautiful day of Christmas. It's interesting you talked about kind of this way of living and this theme of charity because 
love is destroyed or charity is destroyed by a lot of isms in our culture, ways of living. Uh, you could talk about materialism, which you've mentioned, you know, when we kind of reduce things to money and the season to money and being distracted. Uh, modernism, you know, this idea in some ways having to do with throwing God out, right? In so many ways and focus on scientism, relativism, that everything is based on my reality and my truth and you do you, you live your life, I live my life. Uh, but that's not love uh, because that rejects the idea of this basic fundamental understanding that there is truth, we're called to pursue it, and it is what will be the path of greatest happiness in our lives. But then there's hedonism as well. Um, that is where we just focus utterly on whatever pleases us at the moment. And we do run from one thing to the next. And even that question I received just earlier about why is it this one guy from Salt Lake City, why is it that so many women like, like the bad guys today? It's like they like being treated horribly. And I really do think it has to do with this emotional roller coaster that we like feeling really intense emotions, really high highs and really low lows. I remember seeing this for years working in the crisis pregnancy centers, uh, seeing firsthand these girls who are struggling. They didn't know just to have kind of a balanced, normal, calm life where, yeah, there are things that happen and they can be difficult, but, but you maintain, you stabilize. You know, there's there's just that flat line of life that you can allow to occur. Um, again, that comes back to that hedonism that we're missing when we allow charity, which is Christ himself, to be a part of our lives and I think that ties into the whole idea, Father Tim, of why virtue is so necessary in our daily living and practicing virtue and praying for it. Yeah. And the last time that I was on, we were talking about hope, I believe, the candle of hope early on in Advent and the way that the theological virtue of hope perfects our memory. Again, memory being more than just a, a bank of things that you remember in your mind from the past, but it is an understanding of who you were in the past and also who you hope to be in the future and all these expectations. And so really a consciousness that is perfected by our hope, knowing that we live and love from a place of victory, not that we're only, only striving for victory in our moral and faith lives, but that we know Jesus has won a victory and we come from that place. But then that means that charity also perfects something about who we are, and that would be our will. And our will is really where we make decisions, where our desires come from, where our delights come from. And so charity perfecting the will uh, means that the decisions we make aren't always based off those, uh, those feelings, right? We say that love is more than just a feeling, it's a choice. And it's, it's more than a choice, it's something that actually draws us, literally draws us to God himself, you know, that we say God is love. And so I just love to think of, uh, you know, the different kinds of love and the way that they're perfected by this charity that we're calling towards. Uh, you know, I always go back to this image of uh, St. Catherine of Siena that she received in a mystical vision from the Father who pointed to Christ on the cross and said that he is a bridge between heaven and earth. And that without love, we try to cross the water on our own, but we can't. The devil will swipe us up right away. We'll be washed mm -hmm. away. Um, but then there's a kind of love where you're at the feet of Jesus and you know, you're there because it's kind of a servile love, like you're afraid of going to hell, you're afraid of getting in trouble, um, you're just kind of putting aside mortal sins. And that's that's love, but it's not a perfection of love. It's far from it. And then the next level is to be at the side of Christ, and you're receiving his the blood and the water from his side. And we see those as the sacraments of 
the Eucharist and baptism, and we're receiving God's gifts, and we love God because, oh, it feels so good to love God. We're getting everything, we're feeling everything, but that again, that's not the heights of charity. Finally, we're face to face with Jesus on the cross, and we're like looking at him in his eyes, but also looking out from the cross with him. And that's the kind of love that perfects our will, is that we are on the cross with Jesus, loving others because Jesus loves them. Not because we have to, not because it feels good, but because we are loving others because the perfection of charity is to love people because God loves them, not just because they're easy to love. You know, Jesus says that throughout his ministry. <laughs> you know, even, even tax collectors love those who love them. So uh, you know, when charity is perfected uh, through little acts of sacrifice, through acts of penance, through acts of service, then we begin to love each other because God loves the other person. And it begins with seeing ourselves the way that God sees us and being loved by God. So it, it, it sounds like a tremendous uh, undertaking to try to take care of during one Advent. But every liturgical season, we take a step closer to being in that manger with Jesus, to being on that cross with Jesus and that perfection of charity. Father Tim, I think it's helpful when we look at you know, today or this week being that theme of charity with the Advent wreath and the final preparation for Christmas. And then we also look at those first feast days of the liturgical season of Christmas. Mm. We have St. Stephen, St. John, the Holy Innocents. And you mentioned how sacrifice is that perfection of charity, right? That's the product of love. If you really love someone, if you really love something you're willing to sacrifice for it. And as we're in, we were talking about these feast days earlier with Kendra Tierney, as we are in that Christmas season, boom, we have this massive celebration of this baby who's born, the angel singing glory to God in high, on the highest, uh, peace to people of good earth. We have these songs of you know, hark the herald angels sing. You just think about this Christmas music and you're on this high. And then if you make it to daily mass, which I really hope you will in those Christmas days, you have these intense, Hence, feast days. Boom. The 26th is the first martyr of the church. Well, why? Because we were preparing for the Christ child, for Jesus Christ, who is love. He makes that greatest act of love on the cross. That is his future. That is the fullness of who Christ is and what he will do. Well, St. Stephen is the example of the perfection of the sacrifice of loving Christ. And we see that with the innocence of St. John the Apostle, with the innocence of the children who did not die in vain, but died uh, because someone wanted to kill Jesus Christ. And their lives are celebrated because they were a sacrifice along the way to preparing the way for Christ himself. Yeah, and I heard Kendra say something like that about the innocence and really about all those saints was, we're celebrating feast days that make it very clear, like all of the saints, but those days especially, that to love like Jesus is to look like Jesus. And the martyrs look like Jesus in a very special way. St. Stephen, when he was martyred, you go through Luke's account in the Acts of the Apostles, and it, he's saying the same words that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And so Luke is tying together the martyrdom of St. Stephen, what we call, whom we call the proto-martyr, like the first martyr, uh, to Jesus himself on the cross. He, you know, he, he forgives the people who are stoning him to death. He commends his spirit to the Father. It's a really beautiful thing to see St. Stephen uh, offer himself that way, the same way that Jesus did. And the way that 
the innocence. You know, again, I heard you guys talking about, you know, it's a terrible, terrible thing when we see it without the eyes of faith, especially with just the eyes of history. We look at these saints and these martyrs and we see only the tragedy, only the injustice. But with the eyes of faith, we can see they look a whole lot more like Jesus than we do. Um, one of my favorite uh, authors right now is Hannah Hernard. Uh, she wrote this beautiful little book called uh, Heinz Feet on High Places. And the sequel to that is called Mount of Spices. And there's this, this she, she calls love like terrible. And it's in the sense of like a consuming fire, right? Is that love is terrible when it looks at its beloved and sees anything that mars its appearance. Is that love will do anything it can to purify and to make new the beloved so that the beloved looks more like the lover. And it's just this purifying experience of fire, which is really important to the Advent wreath and the Advent candles that we celebrate at the end of this season. And in simple ways, it's preparing ourselves for those little sacrifices that the Christmas season is offering us, you know, as, you know, busyness, things can be tense from finances to family and different personalities and everything that comes along these opportunities to remember that you know it's not about giving the gifts it's about giving ourselves and making ourselves that true sacrifice as jesus christ himself became remembering bethlehem is the house of bread that jesus christ gives himself totally to us to be consumed by us i'll be right back with father tim here on trending with timory Wishing you a very blessed last handful of days leading up to Christmas and this preparation that we are in. Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles is with me. He's the chaplain there. We've tagged him on social media. And there's a New York Times article that went up talking. The title is, Oh, come all ye faithful, except for when Christmas falls on a Sunday. I was floored the other day when one of my Protestant friends posted on Instagram that she can't find a single church within a very, very large radius. She's someone who's totally fine with driving a long ways uh, that was having a worship service on Christmas Day. And she was saying, hey, does anyone know of something? I really want to go to church. And if not, would you be willing to do, you know, some sort of celebration or Bible study or something? Because this just isn't okay, and it's really disheartening. Now, I tease her that she's a closet Catholic. I'm waiting for her to convert. You can pray for her um, and her beautiful family. But I was laughing. I commented. I said, sounds like beautiful Catholic Mass on Christmas. And who knows she might, she does go to Catholic Mass from time to time. Uh, But this is a trend. This is actually a trend. Because Christmas is falling on Sunday, Worship services everywhere are being canceled in Protestant churches. Now, maybe this is something, you know, you need to make sure, you know, Sunday Mass isn't quite the normal Sunday Mass schedule. That's a heads up for you. But Father Tim, my mind is blown by this because it's not just Sunday that we're supposed to keep holy the Lord's Day, but it's also Christmas, which is one of the major liturgical feast days for us as Catholics, but for all of us who share in the Christian faith. Yeah, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about as far as obligation uh, goes, is that obligation is a form of love, 
but that doesn't mean that you know charity, the greatest form of love, has no obligation to it, right? So when we talk about uh, the nativity of Christ, about Christmas, it is a holy day of obligation. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, a lot of Catholics do take care of that on Christmas Eve or maybe even at a midnight mass, and then do stay home on Christmas Day itself. Uh, but that we still do have some kind of celebration, some kind of celebration of the Mass is an obligation to us, but it's an obligation that's meant to be wrapped up in charity, that we love going to Mass. Uh, one of the funnier little notes that I found in this article, it, it points out, like in parentheses, that you know the trickier year for Catholics was 2021, because you know, I remember last year we had Christmas Eve on a Friday, Christmas Day on a Saturday, and then the Sunday Mass the next day. But yeah. it's that, that word they used, that it was a trickier year for us. And yeah, at a practical level, it was, you know, especially, you know, if we had to change decorations in between masses or something like that. But that's such a minor little thing when it comes to what we're actually doing in the act of worship. And I think that's what it really does come down to is a very different understanding of what the act of worship is, who's doing the act of worship and what our role in it is. So you could say that some of these Protestant services, which can lift up the heart, no doubt, but they are shaped around something where the people, you know, become observers or spectators uh, to a what is you know a Bible study or some praise and worship. But we believe as Catholics that we are drawn up into the liturgical action that Jesus is the one performing the act, and we are being drawn up into that. And so to say no, we're we're not going to celebrate that day because it's a Sunday. It goes against everything we believe about what the liturgical action is and our role in it. And so it's not a matter of maybe them thinking less of their own act of worship. It's just a very different understanding of what it means to worship. And, you know, it's interesting because it kind of brings us back, Father Tim, to those challenges that people had when, for Catholics, Mass was canceled. And it was astounding during COVID of what occurred. And a lot of people sometimes are like, okay, the obligation's gone, so I'm not going to do anything. Some people, you know, maybe you tried to watch a mass online. It's not the same. Maybe you tried to read the readings or there are different things that people did. And for some people suddenly realize, you know, I went to mass on Sundays, but was I really carving a day out as a day of worship? Was I carving it out as a day of rest? And so I think it's an opportunity, you know, although mass isn't being canceled for us as Catholics, even though, again, warning, the mass schedule is going to look different on Christmas Day it's not going to be the normal Sunday Mass schedule. It is the opportunity for us to be more intentional with that time of how are we celebrating Christmas? How are we keeping the focus? But how do we celebrate Sundays? And why is it that we celebrate and carve that time out? And it's a moment of obedience to what we're called to within the church to go to Mass. But I'll never forget a good priest um, in a college used to always say, he said, stop acting like you have to go to Mass. You don't have to go to Mass. You get to go to Mass. And you get to be consumed when you go to Mass. And you just stop focusing on being the consumer, but being consumed and offering yourself up as that sacrifice on Sundays. You sacrifice whatever day of the week that Christmas might fall on. And so it is that reminder that we're supposed to be not just be showing up to church, but showing up every moment of our lives, entering into the sacrifice of what Christ is calling us to by our baptism. Ooh, we're catching Father Tim. I think we lost him there for a moment. At this whole idea, and again, that the fact that the New York Times is covering the story that Protestant churches aren't having 
church services on Christmas Day on Sunday. It's astounding. But Father Tim, you're back with us. Let's talk a little bit about that attitude of getting to go to Mass. It's an opportunity versus this idea that I have to go to Mass and that gift of being consumed at Mass versus being a consumer when we show up. Right. It goes back to our obligation being drawn up into charity itself. And, you know, I... I think I've, I, in the conversations with friends, is we're like, oh, I don't want to call it a day of obligation. What is it? I want to call it a day of opportunity. And I'm like, it, <laughs> yeah, it's still, the obligation is still there, right? But the obligation is meant to be drawn up into the act of charity, where it's not something I, I'm doing just because I have to, but it's because it's something that I get to do. Because, it's, again, it's looking at the cross. It's, it's face-to-face with Jesus. This is an opportunity for me to give myself away. And that's what I was made for, that kind of love. And so kind of going through this article again and kind of laughing at the, uh, the lightheartedness of, yeah, people just want to spend the day in their pajamas and, and stay in bed until noon or whatever. I'm like, okay, are you willing to sacrifice that for the act of worship that Jesus invites you into uh, on the feast of his nativity? I, I hope so in some kind of way. But then, uh, you know, then they, they start getting a little bit afraid of the idea of obligation. I'm like, oh, I have to go do this. I, you know, this is something I have to do rather than, yeah, this is something I get to do because this is what I was made for. And so this idea that they just want to stay home in their pajamas, it makes me think of this song by uh, Steve Martin actually has this funny song called Atheists Don't Got No Songs or something like that. And one of the lines is Catholics listen to Gregorian chants while atheists stay home and watch football in their underpants. And I'm like, do I really want to be compared to the atheists who stay home and watch football in their underpants? I, I hope not. I hope that I can give more than I get on the day of Christmas. I love it. This is an opportunity as church services are being canceled uh, to invite someone to church, invite a Protestant to church. You know, they are maybe a little bewildered, not really sure what to do. Hey, why don't you come? It's a great day, you know, for you to experience the Mass for the first time, for us to share in that ecumenism that we all are drawn into in our faith. So that's Father Tim Grumbach. We've tagged him on social media. Thanks for being with us, Father Tim. Up next, the Family Rosary Across America. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Assuming I'm not in labor, Tuesday on Trending, we're going to talk about that season in life that many of us have been in, and many more than ever before are in, that season of being unmarried and dissatisfied. Maybe you're excited about Christmas and the season, but also just feeling that tug, that desire to have children, to start a family, to start those traditions. How do you help someone through this? How do you work through it yourself? Join me Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.